You are listening Onward with William McCarthy, live from California. It's been a long time. Hello, everyone. Wow, it's been a little little bit of time here since I did a podcast. And if you're tuning in, you either are curious what I'm up to, or you're just a podcast junkie like me, and or both. Well, hey, it's been a little while. A lot has happened. It's been a long pandemic, and there's reason to believe that maybe this year will be better than the last. Is it me? Is it is it all kind of in, in the past now? Can we say that we can join our parents' generation and our grandparents and our great-grandparents' generation of having a, a legit pandemic? Although we had one with HIV AIDS, but... Wow, I guess our parents went through polio, our great-grandparents, the uh, Spanish flu, and we had COVID. Well, here I am. I'm I'm in my studio, uh, Desert Rose Studios. It's, it's a studio that I built this year, and uh, it is for me to work on music and other creative things. And I have been very, very busy. So, firstly, um, this is my new microphone. I'm really digging it. I treated myself in the spirit of ending this year strong. Um, I'm playing lots of shows and I'll get into that later, but really, where have I been? What have I been doing? Uh, what's been going on with the podcast? And am I, am I still into it? Do I, do I, does it burn in my soul? <laughs> Actually, I love podcast. I, like many people, am not a great sleeper. So I listen to podcasts at night to wind down and it's kind of a, a two for one like not only do I get to uh, relax and, and, and drift off to sleep but also I get to learn some stuff and I have listened to everything from history geography self-help stuff travel stuff music history I can't get enough I think this is one of the most exciting mediums that's come along in a long time and to me, it's better than television. I mean, no offense, but growing up watching Cheers and Friends and stuff or whatever, you know, um, this, this is so educational and it really is a platform. And I really love hearing people's perspectives. That said, I've also heard some bad ones. I've heard some um, rambunctious ones, some, some podcasts that seem kind of flippant and shotgun and people aren't really prepared or whatever so it makes me kind of wonder what kind of podcast i've been doing for all these years and what i try to do is just sit down you know at a at a like a table and just chat now when you're doing a podcast do you want to do uh like a short program where you're just kind of sticking to your points or maybe like a like long form maybe like you know joe rogan goes for like three and a half hours and i've tried both of them and i really appreciate actually uh the longer ones because people get to be human and i don't know maybe you listen to them before you go to sleep maybe you have a you work from home and you have something going on in the background that's kind of how i've been uh listening to podcasts and i man i just can't say enough about it i think it's fantastic i think it's really nutritious for humans um okay so moving along so i'm back here in america and you know i want to talk about something in the podcast today because it's really helped me now if you're like me you've been out in the world and and you know you feel a need to stay up on you know subjects that are going on globally i.e like what's going on in iran 
and uh, Taiwan, Ukraine, this sort of thing. And I really went through a situation last time I was in the States. It's been a while now, I think it was about seven months ago, but I actually got held up at gunpoint in California. And that coupled with uh, the Parkland shootings and the Uvalde stuff and those poor um, migrant guys that passed away in that truck, I really had to address something that even though I was like a vigilant uh, NPR, BBC, RTE, like Al Jazeera news guy that really wanted to stay up um, on all the topics in the world, I started realizing that the intersection between real life and um, and the news was starting to actually do my head in. As, as crazy as that sounds, I was starting to like actually worry about my uh, mental state because if you know, if you're listening to what's going on out in the world, it's easy to forget that these uh, agencies and these 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 companies, they're actually businesses and they deal in, you know, viewership and in ratings. And it was it was just hard to start sort of come to terms with if it bleeds, it leads type of uh, type of journalism. And it's really brutal to say that, but I've taken a massive uh, step away from the world news and knowing that I can, of course, go back. So I wanted to say, actually, if anybody out there is struggling a little bit and the world seems a little dim with, you know, I think I got to the point with, with these school shootings and I, I even marched, I mean, me and my sister went and marched and, um, I've been, I've been vocal about this stuff going on in Iran. Like you do have to look after yourself and you do need to take breaks and you're no less of a world citizen. You're no less of a, a concerned, vigilant person who's staying on top of things. It's okay to put it down. So just a little mental health moment there. Uh, so it's okay to like not do the news for a bit. I, I realized coming back to America, like, wow, if I'm going to do America, then I need to do it in a different way. And I think that, you know, I've been going back and forth between America and Europe over the past year. And it's really important for me being here that I come to terms with that, that like America's, a, there's a lot of tumultuous energy here and mudslinging. And uh, there's a lot of blame that goes on politically. And it's really, it, it could really do your head in, you know, and, and I also have to look out for my creative side. I need to come up with ideas and songs and lyrics and so on. And it was just sort of rocking my boat. So I've been telling friends, you know, hey, if you're going through that, try to take a break. And I know it sounds so obvious, but I think I was so determined to like stay, um, stay present um, with what's going on in the world. I just didn't want to leave my post, but I kind of had to. The, the gun thing that happened, and I've talked about it, was just, you know, it was like a, a lost, you know, screwed up young guy that uh, pulled a pistol out on me at the, at a, in front of a grocery store about a parking space. And he didn't even have a car. He was just, you know, mentally ill. And, uh, it was weird. It was extremely threatening and scary, especially paired with the news stuff that I was listening to. But I am happy to say that I, I actually responded to it and not vol voluntarily. Like I responded to it actually with, with a lot of empathy. Like I actually felt bad for the guy that, for how you know whatever developmentally however he ended up in the place that he is um no one ever told him like this 
kind of behavior is going to go on your record. It's going to really screw your life up. I don't know if you can get a passport when you're uh, a felon. And that's exactly what that is. That's a felony. So that guy really hurt himself. And I wasn't really, you know, I didn't feel that like, you know, and take that, you know, I had to go like identify the guy I was in the back of a cop car and saw this dude. And I was just like, oh, buddy. Oh, man, this is a big, big mistake. And we've all made mistakes, especially growing up. But I just looked at the guy like, oh, man, a firearm. That's 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 dark, man. That's dark. And I was not thrilled about it. But yes, going forward, if I'm going to walk through cultures um, that have the potential for this kind of stuff, I kind of these days can't really do it with listening to, you know, people argue online and um, news agencies slinging mud at each other. It just all got very dim. So moving forward, where have I been? <laughs> I've been basically working, um, working on, on new music. I've just come through a, a major writing block. Um, and I've basically been going back and forth between Ireland and California. I just came back from a fantastic journey up north where I did a lot of lyric writing and I, I, I've been working on some new kind of styles and I actually just, you know, it's really funny when you're a writer, it's like, Hey, okay, I'm going to get the structure of the song. I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to get it right. And then when the time is right, I'm going to do the lyrics. But I just actually, I drove out to the edge of town in this desert and I, there was these cactuses and it just seemed like, a really good place to just sit and I hate to say force it but that's what I did I just sat and said hey buddy time waits for nobody so you better get on it and I did and I banged it out and I really really love it so if you're a creative you know sometimes the exercise of just pushing through can yield some great results so yes it's been a, it was a fantastic summer I was ambitious going into the summer really feeling like okay I want to tour all over usually I'm in Europe for the summer and uh, I want you know the summer before that I had gone to Denmark and Italy and Croatia and Germany and and uh, Ireland I hadn't been to Britain this is the first time I returned to Britain it's been a couple years but I was really ambitious and this summer I just said okay I'm gonna I'm gonna bite off a reasonable amount and I got to play in the UK um, Ireland, I got to play in Spain, I got to play in America, and it was a magical, magical experience for me. Um, what a joy it is to be able to do this kind of show. And my solo shows, um, they're, I don't promote them quite a bit, I don't promote them a lot, you know, but uh, I, di I definitely have, have not stopped playing. I'm out playing constantly. I'm actually playing in a couple days here in California. And I have a project coming up that is really meaningful to me. Um, before this summer really kicked off, I went up and played some shows up in Canada. And Canada is a place that I absolutely adore. I've been going up there probably since about, I would say 2005, playing shows um, with my first band, Pela. <clears throat> and I, what what is there not to love? You know, I'm... I'm actually a little phobic of uh, snow and ice, although that sounds crazy living in New York for 20 years, but I get a little bit weird about cold because 
I, I was born in, into really warm weather, right? I didn't realize it at the time, but I was born with very, very mild uh, winters. And I, one thing that I learned about Canadians, I mean, there's many, many things I've learned, but uh, they really, they really participate with their natural environment and they, they, they thrive basically. So I was with a friend of mine named Jay and uh, he was showing me like, you know, where they go ice fishing and literally there's snow, there's snowmobiles like parked outside. And I've had some adventures on my motorcycle. I went, wow, I think it was 2013. I was in Mexico of all places. It was a dream to ride my motorcycle there. And then I just with no itinerary whatsoever, just started driving north. And for a month, I went all the way, all the way through California, Oregon, um, Washington, Vancouver, and I went up through the Yukon, and I ended up all the way up in Haines, Alaska, which was crazy. But I saw some towns in Canada that really touched my soul. So when, I, when my friend Jay invited me up, I went to this region um, in Manitoba called the Pa spelled P-A-S, uh, the S is silent. And I really couldn't believe the place. Um, A, some of the warmest, you ever meet people that are so kindred and warm, it makes you assess like how you socialize and what environments you've been accustomed to. Coming from New York City, going to the PA was a huge jump. It seemed like, much like many small towns, People had time to talk about things. They made it a point to wave when driving by. Seeing children, you felt like they were safe. Um, uh, old or elderly people, you look at them and think, wow, they're acknowledged, they're, they're visible. Sometimes in a place like New York, when people get older, they kind of, they kind of fade into the ether, into, the, into the, the environment, and you don't see them present so much. And I really love countries like like, you know, Spain and Italy, where you see uh, all age, all age groups present. And this is how it is in Nepal. I was also completely inspired by the indigenous community there, which I think comprises of half of the population. Uh, I did not realize the complexities of um, basically colonialism and where that leaves people in, in modern modern times are leaves people today um you know obviously we all endured the trump years which was not fun by any means um i had a quite a bit of armor on because i was in an extremely liberal place uh new york city during that whole experience but um make america great again um you know build a wall all this kind of talk you know it, it's as we saw with the Queen passing away recently in Great Britain, um, you know, when you really spend time with indigenous people, you really see it from a different angle and a very important angle. It's really easily forgotten. Like, um, who's, you know, whose land was this? Is it the, the bigger, stronger, tougher bully guys or the people that like thrive for a millennia, like quietly, you know, respectfully with their environment? You know, it, there's a lot. So when I was in the paw, I was struck by um, no, there was no grotesque um, displays of, of wealth. There's, there's no um, absolute abject poverty. Everyone kind of seems to be existing in this 
beautiful, almost 1950s diner kind of Main Street um, kindred way. I really thought it was beautiful how um, Canadians like wore some indigenous type of like moccasins and there was sort of uh you could tell that these people have been coexisting for a long time together and i was i I went to a couple pubs there and i played uh i i in america we would call it a vfw hall like a veterans hall and it was really wild Uh, i felt like a young Joni mitchell or something playing in Saskatchewan, or, or or I thought of Levon Helms and the band, or Neil Young, and what it, what it must have been like for them to play these like watering holes in these Canadian towns. It was it was extremely inspiring. It didn't really get dark till like nearly midnight, and I think the sun came up at an incredibly early. So it was actually not dark for uh, for very long. And I could not, for the life of me, I mean, this is like, I don't know, 12, 15 hours north of Minnesota. Like, what are the winters like there, right? And I was, you know, wherever I go, I'm always listening to music, you know, from the region that I'm visiting. I'm asking questions. I'm, I'm, I'm piecing this all together in my head. And they were all telling me about this, this festival that happens in the winter. It's like a frontier type of festival, you know, like Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone type of stuff, people with like pelts on their head. And I guess it's sort of a nod to their history. And I looked it up online and it's like guys throwing axes, you know, people drinking, you know, mold wine or, you know, hot drinks all together. And it was like adorable, man. Like what a thing to look forward to. And I have, you know, being a, a Californian um, and raised for half my life here I just have like a lot of respect for people who can like withstand that kind those kind of temperatures now that's like my my Achilles heel (laughs) put uh Billy McCarthy up in some snow and you're gonna see a guy really struggling (laughs) so upcoming here the reason I'm going to Canada is because I started speaking to some folks that um I've become friends with um about coming back because I think I just felt like I've learned through traveling that when you see a place and it it seems like a place that could be a novel uh, or the back the backdrop of some kind of literary passage or story um, that you should listen to that 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 basically means it's extremely unique there's a place that uh, my band used to drive by in Montana and I always saw it out like on this bluff. It was this tiny little town. It looked like it was on a mesa and it was called Butte, Montana. And I always wondered what was going on there. And, and later on in life, I rode my motorcycle there and I actually um, got to speak with the people. And I, you know, when I see a place like this, like I always research it and kind of learn. And it just felt again, like a place like a novel could have been written in. And it was just wildly exciting for me. So putting my head together with these lovely people that I met, I started trying to conspire and figure out some crazy way I could get back there. And we decided that, uh, well, that there might be a possibility that I could speak at some schools there and basically talk about, about my life and about being in a small town and maybe I could do a bit of music and we've been sort of working on this behind the scenes and really excited to tell you that I'm 
going on tour there. I'm playing, I'm playing a handful of shows and I'm speaking at four different high schools, which is, you know, it's actually not crazy because I've actually done it before. I did it in Northern Ireland once. And I also went on a storytelling tour across Europe, which was amazing for me. And it was one of the, it's something that I'm very, very proud of in my, in my career that I've, that I've pulled off. It was before I really knew what TED Talks were, but I did this storytelling, this storytelling tour with like a projector and like I, you know, photos. And I spoke about basically all the hijinks and stuff I've got myself into over the years. So I'm going to go and speak um, with young people, which is a big, which is pretty ambitious. I got to be honest. And so I'm sitting here asking myself like, okay, well, it's an hour plus and I've got to speak to, you know, room, rooms full of faculty and community, uh, parents and kids. What am I going to talk about? And I've been really, really mulling that over and I've been driving around in my van and I've been working on lyrics and songs and thinking about this. And I think one of the, 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 the major themes that I really want to speak to these guys about, and maybe I'll record it. I'm not sure. Um, but I really want to talk about um, reinvention and that humans, our best inventions, our best invention is really ourselves. And that it, it could happen sometimes that when you're in a small town or a small environment and you have kind of, you're kind of scared, but you have some, you have some feelings or some lofty ideas and what's what's kind of perilous sometimes is when we try to talk about these ideas with with the people in set and setting that we know or we grew up with sometimes they're not really understood or received too well and it takes a lot of tenacity and courage to not let that get you down and to actually listen to that i i also want to talk to them about what self is like who you are and I'm hanging out at this party, drinking beers with my friends. And, uh, you know, there's a crazy guy punching a punching bag. There's kids peeling out, doing donuts with motorbikes. Is that who I am? Am I them or am I me? And what is me? And basically, I want to express to them, like, how I got to the place where I saw the world the way I do. And that I didn't have anybody to to bounce that off of. And what do you do then? And we're in obviously a different age. You know, I came up, uh, the internet happened like, you know, I had been traveling for a few years, but it happened when I was really young, but still like, what do you do in a world where you can have anything at your doorstep, informationally speaking on your, your device, on your phone? Do you go seek out, uh, say, I don't know, Puerto Rico, if you can see pictures of it. In my generation, we were, we were still going to the library or National Geographic or whatever. And it was kind of magical. I'm actually very happy that I live, I lived that way because I, I didn't, I, many times I went to places and I had no idea what they even looked like. Um, I ended up busking and I was homeless and I was hopping around on these trains and stuff without paying. And I would just, I was in Europe for the first time and I was like 22, maybe 23 years old. And I started going south because I was hoping that it would be warmer uh, because it was winter time. And I started seeing, I ended up in Spain and I started seeing all the street signs and 
I really recognized, you know, obviously, obviously Spanish because um, California is 50% Latino. And it just made me feel comfortable. Like it was from, it was similar to what I knew and boom, there you have it. <laughs> Suddenly I had found myself in Spain and I just kind of was following these sort of um, clues, uh, songs I had heard. There was a song for a completely different time, different story, but there was a song I had heard in a little cantina in Mexico called La Malagueña, meaning the girl from Malaga. And you know, I'm hopping these trains and I'm a kid and I, I, I saw on the map that there was a place called Malaga and I didn't know that there was multiple Malagas in the, uh, in the Latin Americas, uh, probably a Malaga in every Spanish speaking country, but I saw one on the map. So I decided to head there. I did end up in a homeless shelter and, you know, fending for my life, like on the streets, trying to busk in dead winter, which totally backfired. But I want to talk to them about basically, um, being, being brave and taking risks even if nobody really understands what you're talking about, because that's what happened to me. And uh, maybe, maybe they're teenagers and they don't care, you know, or maybe there's, there's a young person out there and it speaks to them. And if I can, if I can reach like one youngster, then I think I've done my job. When I spoke in Northern Ireland, um, I actually had some students write me and it, it meant the world to me because, you know, it's not really cool, you know, uh, amongst your friends when you're 15, you know, to, to say, wow, that really, that really touched my soul, man. <laughs> adults are, I mean, at least for me, adults were like kind of weird, older, boring creatures. And I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want to be associated with them. So I would have kept something like that to myself, but I was really moved that, that these kids actually independently like emailed me and I, 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 you know, I responded to all of them and it meant a lot to me that, you know, you kids are reachable. I think you just have to speak to them in the right way. And I think the biggest mistake many adults made, at least when I was growing up is that they knew everything. I knew nothing and I needed to listen to them, but I'm like, well, <laughs> you have jowls and you wear sweatpants up to your nipples and you don't do anything except sit on your recliner and watch, you know, NFL American football stuff. Like, why am I listening to you? So, you know, who knows? Maybe there's enough here for, you know, me to connect with them, but I, I'm going to be doing another slide presentation and I'm looking forward to talking with them about how, how I just kind of kept going. Um, I'm going to be in New York city before I go up to Canada. And then after Canada, I'm going to be going back to Europe. And I'm currently working on, um, wish me luck, uh, an Australian tour. Um, and that would be happening in January. So wish me luck with that. Okay, so I'm here, I'm in California. Um, and I <laughs> want to talk to you a little bit about the suburbs. Um, let's talk about this. Does anybody know why and how bumper stickers got popular. I've, I was speaking about this with my Patreon group, like when did the bumper sticker start encapsulating one's entire existence? Like who, who, who started that? Um, 
uh, Blue Lives Matter, um, Air Force Marines, uh, my kid's a graduate of blah, blah, blah. Here's my university. Uh, this is the sports team that I enjoy. Uh, it's, it's such a strange, a strange form of expression to me when I look at it. I'm like, okay. Another thing, can we, can we talk about how, uh, how people in the suburbs started driving lowered Fast and Furious Honda Accords with giant fins on them and huge... Uh, modifications done to their mufflers to make them sound like race cars? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's a weird thing in California. I didn't notice it when I lived here when I was growing up, but there's a lot of like peeling out of parking lots and strange, uh, strange, strange displays of masculinity of, of, of it basically revving engines and peeling out of parking lots. And I'm, I've even seen people just doing donuts going in circles, like in parking lots, like not really for anybody, but just by themselves. And I'm thinking, is this middle class American pent up toxic masculinity, like, but behind the wheel of a car? And I look at these guys and I, I know exactly what's going on. You're listening to your hip hop, you're 17, you're 16. God, maybe even your mid twenties, and you're like, "Yeah, I got this. This is my, this is my domain. This is my Serengeti. This is my fish tank, and I'm the big Kahuna fish. And this is my hear me roar or hear my Mazda rev. It's a very strange thing, <laughs> especially when you've been to a lot of different, you know, cultures and you've seen a lot of different kind of displays of masculinity. I really love like when you're in. You know, a couple of years ago, I was in um, I was in northern Italy. I was with a friend of mine in Verona, and I was watching all these people kind of hold hands and dance in a big circle, almost like a Jewish wedding or um, or like something you'd see in Crete or Malta or Greece. Um, and they were all kind of going around in circles, drinking wine, laughing, and it was like this kind of wedding feeling. And I was thinking. Like, wow, there's displays of masculinity in Russia when men do deep squats and they do the kind of kicking dance kind of thing. And like, yes, I am strong. And they <laughs> rip a tree out of the out of the ground by its roots and, uh, you know, throw things. And it's very interesting. <clears throat> you know, think of a Mongolian in a yurt somewhere like doing falconry or, um, you know, giving a horse to their, their daughter's husband as a display here this is from this is for health and fertility and family and then you see these suburbs and these like look at me rev up my engine <laughs> i see it with motorcycles i see it with like harley davidson's um i see it with like just guys making their vehicle louder and throttling it in a way that has people look at them and i'm thinking wow i mean not naturally um, people say, well, that's, you know, a lack of, you know, this is the guy's dick size or whatever. You know, I don't, does it have to do with penis stuff? Is it that easy? Is that, is that Freudian? Um, does it have to do with, with, um, their sense of, of masculinity or is it just a sort of grotesque first world, um, Western, uh, really bad behavior trait? I don't know, but I see it all the time. Another thing is I'm in my van. I'm in the Honorable Vaniel Day-Lewis, um, my conversion van that is like my mobile studio, mobile chill-out spot, and very interesting because I'm a motorcycle guy, right? 
um, it's very, very interesting to see people the way they behave behind the wheel, not wanting to be behind a van, very aggressive, cutting me off. Um, no one wants to be behind me and, you know, no blinkers or, uh, I guess overseas they would say indicators and people just kind of cut in front of you. But when I'm on my motorbike, there's none of that behavior. I'm like benign, I'm harmless, no one cares. And it's, it's just really interesting because in such a, um, car driven, uh, you know, California's it's think about drive-in diners, you know, in and out burger, McDonald's, all that driving stuff happened here, actually very close to where I am. And, uh, there's something really beautiful about it. And there's also, it is a, fu a very funny, I feel like Billy Connolly could do a really funny bit about this, about, uh, about the behaviors of mankind and their cars. So I thought that was really funny. Um, okay. Can we talk about the music that is playing in your pharmacies, your gas stations, your department stores, your clothing stores, your Walmarts, wherever I go, these are my, maybe we could call this like suburb thoughts by Billy McCarthy. What is going on with the, with the playlists? Can we talk about this? It seems to be a mixture of three things. One really glossy, crappy country music. Yeah, me and my dog and my girl. But it's like, in modern production terms, it's got like weird, huge auto-tune vocals and stuff. Like that pip, like, do you believe in love, 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 love? I know this from production. I know when people auto-correct vocals. I know when people line things up to be absolutely perfect. And it really takes a lot of the life out of the tracks. I hear this in country music and I'm like, how did this go from Johnny Cash to this shit that sounds like you know, Pitbull or some terrible dance hall classic that's <laughs> that happens in New Jersey, um, DJ Khalid and all this stuff. Like it's happened to country music. And I'm like, what the hell? What about where's Merle Haggard right now? Um, what would, uh, God, what would the, what would the, what would the, what would Hank Williams say about this? It would sound like alien music to them. And I'm like, wow, that happened to country. The other thing I hear, like at gas stations in the suburbs, is there's still that template of like Creed and uh, <laughs> all those, you know, remember those really bad derivative um, Nickelback, like, feel me, my pain. It's so very badly done. A dude standing there in really bad jeans um, with a mall guitar singing like, this is how you remind me what I really am. And I'm, I just I just hear this stuff and I'm like, you guys are getting ripped off. And is this happening in boardrooms? Is this like, who's making this, sh who's making these calls to give people such porous styrofoam versions of music? Like we could actually do a lot of work. What about Duke Ellington? You know, what about James Brown? Um, God, it, what about the talking heads, David Byrne? There's so many opportunities. There's so many, there's, you know, there, I, I would have Nigerian Afro pop playing at gas stations. It's the same thing when I drive through suburbs and I see every house painted the same color beige. I'm like, wow, beige. That, that is, if you actually had thought up the most unimaginative color, it would probably be like a crappy mud puddle color of beige or a shitty gray, like the color of a, of a lead lead in a pencil. Actually, that'd be kind of more of a, 
a gunmetal or a charcoal, which would be cool. But I'm like, why are you choosing this? So when you look out at the suburbs, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on the suburbs. It's generally, it's very much families and it's people doing the best they can. But I want to talk to the creative director. Like you got really bad music playing. You've got very, very strange choices of, of uh, house colors. And then you've got really weird things, uh, monikers, names, titles, like, like, um, uh, something Hills, like Laguna Hills, Laguna. uh, They've given this like kind of illustrious, strange, um, almost like this bizarre suburban elegance, like trying to talk about this, uh, you know, this inclusive little elite community. And I'm like, wow, okay. Coming from New York city, that's one of the biggest things that I see is that there's no common uh, cultural hub where people can intersect and mingle. I guess they would do it in malls here. And I feel funny saying this because it's got everything that you need. It's got a sandwich shop. It's got a pizza place. It's got a sporting goods store. It's got a chiropractor. It's got everything that a city would have. And it's got massive space, huge parking. Um, but you go you go into these spaces and then you go back to your car and then you go in your little pod and then it poof, you go back into your house and then you go in your backyard and it's like, where do, where do you see the old Cuban guy in the Gallaveta shirt playing dominoes? Like, when do you see the quinceanera party? Um, imagine if it wasn't just on the weekends, it was like in a, I just, where do you learn about other humans? Like, where do you, I guess, in the suburbs, it would be at like little league games or soccer games, but that's like, you know, people sitting in bleachers. That's the one time in the week they get to mix with strangers and learn from others. Cause there's so much learning and stuff that happens just by observation, right? Well, if everyone's in a car and they don't get to mix much, what kind of life is that? I feel like it's a, an isolated, strange, um, pod life where you're in this little orb, <laughs> this little Thing, car and you're just going from place to place and I'm like wow if I could wave my wand my William McCarthy wand I would say there is a law that in in this region in this district no house can be the same color you know how like in Cape Cod and stuff they have like you know laws that building code stuff where you you know if everyone has shingles it's a historic shingle place you too must have shingles this is the look of the feel of the place i would say every house has to be a variant like in the spectrum of color it cannot be the same color like imagine that but you know i'm also near the hood out here there's like some ghettos out here so like i could see like the you know the north side purple boys or the lavender tigers (laughs) like people start gangs you know that's what would happen um, I always felt like that in New York City. If I could, you know, if I could make a law, the McCarthy law, it would be like all the projects. I guess, um, I guess in overseas you'd call it council estates. Like they cannot just be drab brown. It's so sad in New York City because they actually have numbers under the each window. And what that's for, I think, is for law enforcement. Like, okay, G29, G29, G29. Oh, there it is. Okay, that's where the crime is. All right, mobilize. Or if you're a fireman or whatever, that's those are the people that are in need. And they can just kind of, because there's so much crime. But I would love it if, like, you know, it would be like the favelas of Brazil. You know, you got, you got yellow, you got purple, you got blue, you got red, you got this, you got indigo. I notice that when I go to Mexico all the time. Boom, live in your face, real color, oozing, dripping down your arm, dripping off your elbow onto the sidewalk, color, feeling, 
texture, people working with their hands. Everything seems very homemade. And I, I look at the suburbs and I'm like, wow, is that why everyone has the same haircut? Strange. I think we need some creative leadership in the burbs. <laughs> so we're going to take a short break and come right back. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm doing a long form one today. You've been listening to Onward with William McCarthy. Stay tuned after the break. And we are back. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate you tuning in. So this is kind of my first podcast in a while. I really missed it. I really hope everybody's been doing good. I know the world has been, you know, sluggish to get back on its feet and things are a little weird and a lot of people's jobs are screwy. And I do see most of the people I know kind of getting back now. They're back. And, you know, I think a lot of musicians there was a quite a traffic jam with touring and so on and i think you know people are finally back out there and i'm just really happy to be back i apologize if there's a little bit of noise in the background it's a vent overhead i can't really do anything about but anyways so how do i feed myself you know the creativity stuff is coming out like how do you feed yourself i personally like i was saying with podcasts before um i have a lot of different interests you know i've been spending a lot of time in ireland um, I, I drove around, and for my birthday, I went all down, um, all down through the country. I went to County Clare for the first time. I saw the Cliffs of Moher. I went to Kerry. I went to Killarney. Really, uh, just an incredible country. I mean, can, it, it's difficult to find cooler cats than the Irish. I just love um, how conversational they are. I love their traditions. I love how talented they are. And... I saw so many beautiful landscapes, I can't even tell you, but one thing that I didn't really realize, you know, probably common knowledge for people in that part of the world, um, I, I didn't know what a rock circle was. And I, I went to these, they're like miniature Stonehenge, Stonehenges. And you go to these places and they're like, they've got, they, they're basically these giant rocks and they're in this circle and it's something, they're not really quite completely sure um, what it's for, but it seems to line up with the sol- like the solstice, right? So when the sun is at or moon or sun is at a certain place, it casts like a beam of light through these rocks, and they they are they're burial sites, and uh, they're just impressive because some of the rocks that you see, you know, these gigantic rocks. Who knows? Some that you know, it's like four thousand years before Christ. How the hell did they get them there? And many of them are from quarries that are like not even anywhere near the place. And so like extremely impressive feats. So I've been, you know, blown away by kind of ancient history as well. Um, Recently did a huge deep dive on Romans. I found this guy online. I will not be able to find the link to show you. (laughs) But maybe you could Google it if you're interested. One thing that's tough with Romans is that when you see those statues, they have like no pupil that, you know, like, you know, think of like the, the David, right? Michelangelo, he's just kind of staring off in the distance. Dude doesn't have any pupils. It's kind of hard to relate to that. Like, wow, there's his pubic hair. Wow, he's in great shape. Little tiny dick. Uh, he's holding a sling. Good for him. Where did this guy, you know, where did Caligula live? Where did, um, where, tell me more, you know, who? all these busts kind of look similar. And there's this guy that I found online that recreated all of these busts of Roman emperors. And he also, 
there's a guy named Pliny the Elder that wrote quite a bit in ancient Rome. There's all these different writers that would write. And it talked about the complexion of these emperors. And uh, this guy was heavy set. He had a wide gait. This guy was bow-legged, quite short. This guy was a drunkard. This guy was bloated. This guy had terrible eyesight, terrible breath. This guy's front teeth were, you know, nubs. And he, this guy does this like Photoshop recreation and it really humanized like Romans. And I was like, wow. So, you know, I did a big, big dive on Roman history. So many, um, in, in Roman history, so many assassinations. Um, obviously, the most famous one would be like the et tu brute um, Caesar, right? With Brutus, you know, all these, all the senators stabbing him and stuff. That was pretty commonplace. I got really into, <laughs> I'm a songwriter, right? That's probably how you know me, but I got really into like ancient Roman footwear. I know that sounds crazy, but I was looking at like sandals. Like their sandals were brilliant because they could, um, walk through water um, and Romans typically wore like those like tunics kind of toga looking things but you know there were Romans in, in ancient um, Britain right and there were um, there were Romans in Germany and in the north and they did actually wear leggings I don't think it was fashionable to do so but I was just like wow what you know the Roman soldiers like what do you do how do you how do you give sandals to an entire army like where do these guys buy them and it was talking about this um this uh basically stockpile of like they the sandals lasted between three and four months they marched quite a bit and uh you started training to be a uh in the roman military when you were a kid and it was just really i was just really fascinated by um how how much of an impressive force these guys were and the roads that they were marching on largely they built um let's talk about slaves I, I i read quite a bit about gladiators just fascinating right so moving on more history nerd stuff for 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 folks um has anybody seen the muhammad ali documentary by ken burns i believe it's on prime um amazon prime wow if you have not, I highly suggest that you do. I mean, I know about Muhammad Ali just like the next guy, and I probably know a little more about him. I've really loved boxing for years and years, but just seeing, you know, I didn't really realize how, I mean, I knew that he was against the Vietnam War and he took a lot of heat for that, but I didn't realize he did it at the same time he changed his name to a Muslim name and what that brought up in the 60s um, in the Vietnam era. Like he, people didn't actually like Cassius Clay. They thought he was loudmouth um, for a black guy to be that outspoken and to speak out against the government was not common and it was not appreciated. And he, he took, you know, he I got booed a lot. I always thought he was this massive hero and I did not really realize that Muhammad Ali was not exactly, a, a, you know, the people's champ until he lost. He, he, he lost to a fellow named um, Ken Norton. He lost a couple matches. I think he only lost five in his life. And I didn't really realize that, and that's a beautiful metaphor, right? That sometimes losing is like our greatest win, right? And I think it showed a lot of vulnerability and it showed his courage because he kind of had to toe this line where he was this, uh, you know, this, this, impenetrable force that was just as good just as smart just as fast and he also spoke in poems i'm muhammad ali um i'll say it again i'll beat him in 10 like you know uh, float like a butterfly sting like a bee who says that 
Who says that these days? Does David Beckham talk like that? No. I mean, totally retired at this point. Does Lionel Messi? He's like, uh, where, where, <laughs> this dude's speaking in rhymes, and some of them are quite good. So I was really blown away by that. Um, moving forward, more history, um, cultural stuff. I know it's crazy. Ken Burns, I think Ken Burns and his daughter um, teamed up to do a, uh, a documentary on a very odd choice here. Uh, Benjamin Franklin did not realize Benjamin. I thought Benjamin Franklin, you know, God, I didn't listen in high school. So I thought, wow, the guy discovered electricity. He didn't discover it. There were many people that were that were uh, exploring it at the time. But he started realizing that there's energy fields like in the sky and that it could be connected with the earth. He also gave, uh, he also addressed the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream, I notice when I'm in Ireland and stuff, that's actually pretty warm there, oddly. And the Gulf Stream, like he was trying to figure out why it was faster to go from America to England than it was to come back from England to America. And he started addressing the Gulf Stream. He, the guy invented bifocals. <laughs> and he was a printer. That's what he did. He was, you know, an old school printer. Um, and I didn't realize he had a, an alias. And he started writing. Um, it was, oh, I'm going to get the name wrong. So I'm not even going to try. It was something do good or either do good or do gooder. Um, God, was it reverence do-gooder? Something like that. And basically, he became like a big hit, and nobody in Philadelphia could figure out who this person was, if it was a man or a woman, spoke out about women's rights, spoke out about a lot of stuff. Um, but actually, the person writing the article was a 16-year-old anonymous Ben Franklin. The guy was incredible. Um, invented so many things, he became quite famous. He was one of the most famous Americans ever. Um, he spent a lot of time in England and France, but what makes him unique to me is that he considered himself British. And this really outlines this period in American history where, where America was a British colony and there were loyalists and there were rebels. And what happened to him, and what happened to him basically was he was humiliated in the government for an event that happened, I won't get into it, but then he started realizing, wait a second, wait a second, I'll never ever really be a Brit. And and he went the other way in the American Revolution. I just thought it was really crazy. Uh, that that led me to Paul Revere, that, that led me to the colonies up and down the coast. And what's also, you know, complex, I went a couple years ago, I went to uh, was it Mount Vernon, uh, George Washington's um, home, and I was shocked because there were slave quarters there. I think there was, man, I don't remember the number, but it was high. It was like a hundred slaves worked on his property. I think um, George Washington grew and sold tobacco. Ben Franklin had, you know, up to six slaves at a time, and he did he did retract that and start speaking out against slavery at the very end of his life. But, you know, it's hard having heroes like this or to admire people like this. It was a strange and very brutal time. And it's just fascinating to me that, you know, it's a, I know there's that crappy Heath Ledger movie, you know, there, he, but it's like a part of our history that we don't really ever speak about. And it's, I find it really, really unique that, you know, at one point in time, um, yeah, there were big ships coming over, galleons of, you know, 30,000 uh, British troops to come and squash this revolution. And it's pretty ballsy that this 
upstart little rugged place. I mean, at the time, Philadelphia had 25,000 people, and that was the biggest city of, of its day. Um, New York was smaller, and Boston, New York, you know, Virginia, and so on down the coast. But that this little this little upstart could actually like rise up against its, uh, you know, against the monarchy and against foreign powers and that we're kind of siphoning money out of the country from its resources going back to the crown so really really unique and it's crazy because in you know i have a friend tommy my drummer from uh pala tom lives in a house that's from the 1700s up in connecticut that which that would have been you know a house during the times of ben franklin and um really just just kind of the underground railroad and slaves and so on just just a fascinating like thing that I never thought that I would get into. <laughs> so as you can see with my podcast, I love uh, music. I love history, culture, travel, and humans. Um, lately with music, I'm putting out an EP very soon. I have been doing string arrangements, horn arrangements, um, bass, guitar, backing vocals. I've been doing everything. And I am a terrible, either the horns that I play, I can play some penny whistle very poorly, but I play tenor saxophone and I play clarinet. And I've uh, I've got this thing that when I listen to music or listen to my tracks when I'm recording them, I'll just kind of practice on the uh, horn. And I think it's good stuff to have wafting out into the suburb night sky. <laughs> my terrible, terrible horn playing. But, you know, DIY, do it yourself rather than wait for somebody else. Um, pick up what you have. If you can see it, you can be it. Just do it. Just get up and go. Get off your ass and grab something you're not good at and get good at it. That's really the vibe of my music world right now. I'm very happy to have had this little podcast here, and it's good to be back. And I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate you guys tuning in. And wish me luck up in Canada. It ain't gonna be easy, but I'm gonna pull it off. And uh, I'm very, very honored for the opportunity. Thank you guys again. You've been listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from California.